Hey CEO, I have an important question for you today. Are you running your business or is your business running you? If it's time to get your business in order so you can fully step into your role as a confident, in-control CEO, then I want to invite you to this advanced training series that I'm hosting live on May 20th through May 24th. We're calling it the 90 Day CEO Sustainable Success Series. And over these four days, we're gonna break down our research-backed, client-proven process to help you sustainably scale your business without hustling, without overworking, and without burnout. If you've been winging it in your business, hoping that you'll eventually get caught up and telling everyone in your life that when things calm down, you'll be a real functioning human again, this series is especially for you so that you can reclaim your life as you scale up your business. All you have to do is head over to theceocollective.com slash success and sign up. We can't wait to see you there. Hey friends, welcome to Uncomplicate Your Business, a weekly show where I share how you can keep things simple and strategic to create success on your terms. I'm your host, Rachel Cook, business growth strategist for women wanting more, wanting to create more freedom, more income, and more impact in your business without having to sacrifice. Today is a Q&A. It's an ask me anything. And this is one of my favorite parts about running my signature online mastermind sweet spot strategy, because every single week I show up for a live Q&A. And it's so awesome just to be able to get on a call and talk to you, talk to you and hear what you are struggling with in your business. So over the last few weeks, I have been sharing the path to predictable profits. It has been an epic seven part Facebook live series, which you've either seen on the Facebook lives. Maybe you've caught them on the podcast. Yes, we have all of these episodes available as a podcast as well. Or maybe you've been reading them as we've been publishing them over on the blog. However you like to get access to this material. It's been so much fun to share these lessons with you, things that will help you to grow your business to getting that consistent $5,000 a month or that consistent $10,000 a month. I know that in my own business, um, especially when I became a mom, that consistency became so important. I needed to be able to have an income I could depend on. My husband was teaching seventh grade English. I know he's a saint. He literally had a classroom of like 75 middle schoolers <laughs> and he would come home and, you know, teachers just don't get paid that much. They really honestly don't. It's really sad, but we were living off of that the first couple of years of my business. And when we found out I was pregnant and when we had our twins, I had a window there where I needed to get things figured out very, very quickly because let's be honest, like a whole family living on a teacher salary was pretty darn hard. So it was imperative. It was such a huge piece of the puzzle for us for me to figure out how I could not only grow my business, but make sure it was consistent, make sure I could get paid. I didn't have time for any of this up and down nonsense. You know what I'm saying? So what would an extra 5K a month do for you and your family? For my family, that was replacing, that was starting to replace the salary I had left behind in corporate. Um, and that was huge. That meant real security. That meant being able to go buy our house. That meant not stressing about money each and every month because I knew I could afford to not only 
you know, keep my business open, but to do things like hire a team, get help where I needed help. I knew I needed people behind the scenes to make sure I could continue to show up. And it meant I could get help at home. When the kids were really little, you know, preschool is so expensive. (laughs) I needed to be able to afford that and not um, have to try to squeeze my business in at nap time. That just wasn't a possibility for me. That it is not how it was going to work. So I'm excited to continue to dive into some of the questions you guys have sent. I have asked for questions on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, This is from Instagram. You can row two. Asked, I'm interested to learn more about how to mesh in-person trainings with an online business. We do both and it's not always easy. I hear you. Anybody else struggling with this? Um, it is challenging sometimes to find a balance between doing things online and doing things in person. And this is something a lot of my students inside of Sweet Spot Strategy are looking at. This is something a lot of them deal with because for so many of them, myself included, we start our businesses as a local business, right? You start your business by teaching local classes or doing local workshops or working in person with people. And then this whole online business thing shows up and you have a whole nother opportunity um, to reach and serve more people. So it's a balancing act. So what I can share about how to mesh in-person trainings with online business is one thing that I tend to see for those of you who are making that transition from being a local entrepreneur to being a online entrepreneur is you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I say that because it does take time for the online side of things to start to fill online trainings or online courses or even in-person events. Um, There is a big difference in how people get to know, like, and trust you online versus how they get to know, like, and trust you in person. Hands down, the fastest route to getting to someone to know, like, and trust you, which is essential for them to be ready to buy from you, is when they get that chance to get to know you in person, when they can see you, hear you, you know, shake your hand, give you a hug. That is the fastest path to building relationships and connection. When you're online, a lot of that is missing, right? So when it comes to how to mesh in-person trainings and an online business, I would start by mapping out on your calendar. Um, the last episode I did for the Path to Predictable Profits was all about the Predictable Profit Plan. And I shared how to map out your offers on a calendar. So I want you to go back to the last episode of Uncomplicate Your Business. Um, it's It should be up on the podcast now. And I think that will help you. And what I would do is actually map those things out on your calendar and pay attention to seasonality, right? Because if if there is a in-person training you have and there is a perfect time of year to have it, then you want to make sure that you're calendaring that correctly so you're not missing that window of opportunity. But you have to make sure you're calendaring those things because it takes time to promote and fill in-person trainings. Um, online things tend to not take as much time to promote and fill. And if you watch anybody promote things online, you'll probably see them um, do a promotion and it it might be, you know, they launch a webinar. It takes a week to fill a webinar, maybe two weeks, but usually like less than a week to fill the webinar. And then it's like a week of promotion to fill the program. And boom, whole campaign is in two weeks. When you're filling an in-person event, 
it takes longer. It takes longer. So you have to plan that accordingly. Now I can say from experience, I made this mistake earlier. I started doing an in-person event called the CEO retreat. And the first one I did in January, I started promoting it in November and we ended up with 35 people live and 22, 23 people virtually. I was like gobsmacked that I filled that event to that capacity. It was amazing. Um, and I gave myself plenty of time to do it. The next one I ran in April, I did not have as many people and it's because I simply didn't give myself time. So make sure if you're planning out your things, you're giving yourself time and you're aware of how much time it really takes to fill those types of events. Live things tend to take a little bit more time because there's a lot more logistics involved for people. They have to travel, they have to book hotels, etc. Online things don't tend to take that long. Um, so learning those timelines, it varies from offer to offer. This is something we dive into so much inside of Sweet Spot Strategy, but I would start with a big calendar, just like I talked about in the last episode, and plot them out and then estimate how much time do you really need to give yourself? What is the timeline for each of these promotions so you can fill them? Okay, great questions coming in. Hey there, Gina. Hey there, Kelly. I'm so glad you guys are joining me for this Q&A live. I'm gonna continue to come on down the list here. So I see Kelly and she actually sent me a um, cue on Instagram as well. And she says, I would love tips um, to fill retreats and in-person events. And this, I love that these kind of come right one right after the other because they're definitely um, very aligned, very similar types of questions. Let me move this out of the way just a little bit. So what I would say for in-person events, again, you're going to need a little bit more time to plan out what that timeline is going to look like. How much time do you need to fill that event? And it's not just about pitching, 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 pitching. Here's the thing. If it's if you're giving yourself two months to fill an in-person event and all you're doing is just newsletter, hey, tickets for sale, Instagram, hey, tickets for sale, like that's not very exciting or interesting. You need to create content that tells the story of why they need to be there, of why they need to be there. Um, so one of the things that I did um, when I'm mapping out, for example, the CEO retreat, and I'm totally going off the top of my memory right now because I don't have the emails in front of me, but I wrote several different emails over the course of those two months talking about the challenges people have in their business with planning and what they need to do if they're going to make sure they are going to achieve their goals next year. And I wrote this series of emails that were very content heavy, but they were talking about the biggest challenges people have, the biggest reasons why they get stuck, the biggest mistakes, um, the biggest, you know, things that are keeping, holding them back. I also, leading up to announcing this event, had a free five-day challenge. You might have remembered it. The, um, it was the Plan Your Best Year Ever Challenge. So it was all perfect timing. We started November with the Plan Your Best Year Ever Challenge. And then at the end of November, I announced the CEO retreat. I had kind of hinted at it. I had a three-day promotion for Early Bird for the CEO retreat. And then I started doing things like inviting my clients. So anyone who was an existing client, they actually got an opportunity to join. Um, and I did give them a special discount code so that they could join us. Um, I invited people to bring friends. And there were certain people who, and you probably have people in your audience as well. I have certain people in my audience who I know 
if they have the opportunity to bring a friend, they're going to bring a friend. They're my best referral sources. So I always am like, hey, you want to bring a friend? Great. Here's a special code, like a not quite a two for one, but like a buy one, get one half off. Like it doesn't matter if you're trying to get people in the room. Sometimes you need to incentivize them to bring a friend, whether that is a discount code or a special bonus or a contest, like who can bring the most friends, you could definitely do that. So I always look for ways to incentivize both existing clients, people who've already paid you once are more likely to pay you again. And in fact, when we look back at the CEO retreat, a good half of those people had been clients or were existing clients. Um, we also offered tickets for that first CEO retreat to anyone who signed up for my signature program. So we had a program that had launched and we told them we were the whole time the, that program was enrolling in November. We we're like, if you join us in November, you're going to get a ticket for this one day event. And I think that was super valuable to people because they knew, OK, I'm going to join it now. And in a couple months, I'm going to be able to hang out with Rachel in person. And we had several people join us, which was amazing. Um, so those would be my tips there to actually think about about that. Um, so just to recap, plan content that addresses the challenges that your event is addressing, that your, that addresses the challenges your event is addressing, that talks about the challenges they're going through and how this event is going to help them. Um, create content that talks about the mindset shifts they need to make. Create content that talks about the mistakes they might be making. And these might be kind of some myth buster type of things. Like you might be, um, doing this and here's why that's not actually helping you. And in this event, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z. So content I think is really helpful because it educates and education is the best sales strategy, honestly. Also map out your calendar and figure out, are you going to have an early bird period? Are you going to enroll to clients? Are you going to give some sort of bring a friend opportunity? Um, are you going to have some sort of challenges in there? Are you going to give away any tickets just to build buzz? Um, think about that. Think about all of those different things um, and plan it on a calendar. This is the second time I just said, plan it on a calendar, give yourself time. The biggest reason we didn't have as many people at our April retreat was honestly because I gave myself three weeks versus two months. I know better now. So the August retreat coming up, we're going to start talking about it in a couple of weeks because I know I need to give people time to plan. So I hope that helps there. Kelly, great question. Okay, this question came in, um, I think this is still Instagram question. As a locally based practitioner with a one-on-one -on -one offering, I'm still struggling to figure out where to place more energy to help build my practice. I post on local Facebook groups, listservs, donate to local auctions, and offer a monthly community class. I also try to do a once a month newsletter but my mailing list is pretty small. I'm lucky to have regulars which help me pay the bills, but I would like to expand. Where should I put my focus to get more peeps in the door? So because I have worked with a lot of locally based businesses, my first question is, is this the right question? Is this the right question? And um, I say that because often I see local based businesses who are thinking, I just need to get more people in the door. That's the problem I'm having. I'm having a lead generation problem. I don't have enough people coming in the door. I would actually argue that is not the problem. The problem is you have people walking out the back door, okay? So 
here's the challenge that I want to pose back. And anybody who's a local-based business owner, this applies to online business, really any business owner. Something I want you to think about, it is seven times harder and more time intensive to get a brand new client than to keep an existing client. So when I hear, I'm lucky to have my regulars, which help me to pay the bills, and because of all these people I've worked with in the past, my instinct is to say, how much are those clients actually generating for you and how are they working with you? Because what tends to happen is they're not consistent, they're not coming to you on a regular basis, and the lifetime value of a client is probably pretty low. Um, this is what I generally see for most entrepreneurs who are who are running um, like wellness centers or yoga teaching or bar classes or anything else where it's a drop-in based business model. If you are running a drop-in based business model, we need to crunch some numbers and see if that is the problem. Because if that is the true problem, you can go out there and hustle and hustle and hustle. Like you're saying here, you are... Um, posting on local Facebook groups and listservs and donating to local auctions, you are hustling to try to get people in the door. But it's kind of like trying to fill a bucket that has a bunch of holes drilled in the bottom of it. Like the type of bucket my kids take to the beach where the water just runs out the bottom. If that is your strategy, if you're putting all of your marketing energy to filling the bucket, you can continue hustling to try to make marketing the solution, but it's not a marketing solution. I think it's a business design solution. So that is something we talk about a lot inside of Sweet Spot Strategy. And that's one of the reasons we go through a process to design your business to make sure it makes sense. So you don't have to spend your time on this marketing hamster wheel, constantly hustling to get new people in the door. And instead, you build yourself a solid client base of repeat clients, people who actually work with you again and again and again. And suddenly your lifetime value of a client shifts from being, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars to a year to several thousand dollars a year because you've designed your business to actually work and it works with less marketing, right? So this is, this is my question back to you. And I know it's not the answer you probably wanted me to say like, well, if you do this one Instagram strategy, that will fix it. No, chances are, your marketing hustling right now is sending them to a leaky bucket and we need to fix that business design problem. Okay. We need to look at how you are putting together your services um, and make sure that you're, you're building a client base and not just churning through new clients all the time. So I hope that helps. I know it's not the sexy answer of like a cool tip or trick, but that's honestly my opinion based on literally working with thousands and thousands of businesses just like yours. Okay. Um, Eva says, hi, Rachel. I have a couple of related questions. Do you know what a buyer's journey is and do you use it? Do you constantly monitor your analytics to see where you have room for improvement? What processes do you have in place to make sure your ideal client's have a smooth path from prospect to buyer. So I love this because I think you're on the right path with this question. And this is something I actually talk a lot about inside of Sweet Spot Strategy because yes, we build our marketing and sales strategy around a buyer's journey. Anybody who's gotten an MBA or has gone to real business school, I'm just gonna say this real quick, real business school, not paying for an online class called business school, but like actually 
went to a real business school, you know what a buyer's journey is because it's something they teach you. It's something we learn what a buyer's journey actually looks like. Um, that's kind of my own pet peeve because I do have an MBA and I hate how people bash it all the time. This is the important information they don't talk about. So I'm going to close this real quick just so I can show you. If you missed, um, trying to think of what episode it is, I'll have to dig back and double check because I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I talk about this five-part marketing strategy all the time. And inside of Sweet Spot Strategy, I talk through the buyer's journey, which is the consumer psychology behind how each of us makes the move from being unaware of a solution out there to being aware, to being interested, and to building desire and suddenly becoming a buyer, okay? That process, unaware, aware, interested, building desire, buys the product. That is what we mirror inside of Sweet Spot Strategy when we design our marketing strategies based on that buyer's journey. I call it the customer journey. And that's why I built out the entire program to walk you through how do you align with the natural buyer's journey? Because here's the thing, whether you are doing this, whether you're actually taking advantage of how people actually go out and buy things, you're, you're aware of that psychology or not, this is happening. This is already happening. It's just up to you whether you're going to align your marketing so your marketing works better or if you're going to be on that hustle hamster wheel of trying to figure it out and just throwing spaghetti at the wall, right? So the buyer's journey is happening. The customer journey is happening. And here's what it is and how it aligns and how we talk about it inside of Sweet Spot Strategy. Um, first is attract. Attract is the first step. This is people who are not aware. They are unaware of the problem. They are usually looking for solutions to a um, symptom. So they're looking for a Band-Aid right now because they don't really understand the problem. They don't know what the true solution is. They're out there Googling the wrong thing, um, but they just don't know any better, right? This is the attract stage. This is where we have to go out in front of new audiences and start to educate and help people bring awareness to what the real problem is and what the real solutions could be. This is helping people go from, um, let's say it's a health related problem. This is somebody going from, um, I'm in a lot of pain and all they want to know is how do I, um, get a, get a medicine? What medicine do I need to get out of pain? to listening to you on a podcast for people with chronic pain and you actually educate them on why they could be experiencing pain. Now they don't just want a Band-Aid solution, like give me the pain medicine. Now they're saying, oh, maybe I can make lifestyle changes, right? You're educating them and moving them into this new buyer's journey of education. The next part is engage. So once people find you on other people's platforms, you're getting interviewed, you're doing guest posts, you're whatever it is, they find you. They start becoming more aware of the true nature of the problem. They're no longer looking for the Band-Aids. They're starting to become more educated. Now they're aware of you and it's your turn to engage them. Because if we ever really want to get them to the point where we're going to build that interest and we're going to get them to want to work with you, we've got to get their information, right? So in local businesses, y'all, I, I ran a local business for years and this meant getting someone's phone number. These days, in my business, it looks like getting someone's email address, whichever contact information. You have to engage. You have to get their information so you can follow up, so you can continue building the relationship. 
The next piece is nurture. This is where you build interest. This is where you're educating people. This is where you're helping them see why they need to think differently. This is where you're helping them overcome mindset challenges. This is where you're addressing the mistakes. This is where you're debunking all those commonly held myths um, of what what they've tried before and why it's not really working anymore. And as you're doing that, you're building interest towards your product program or service. You're building desire, which is when it's time to invite them into your program or your offer or get on the phone with you or get on a webinar. And finally, delight. So this is the buyer's journey. We call it the customer journey. This is about optimizing where you put what message and how you do your marketing so that you're not trying to um, build interest and desire in someone who doesn't understand what the true problem is, right? Have you ever tried to, and I know I've had this experience, you've had this major change in your life or your health or your well-being, and you go out there and you tell everybody you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm now eating a ketogenic diet and it's the best thing on the planet and you totally need to do it. It's going to change your life. They don't have that kind of interest and desire because they don't understand. They're unaware of the problem that solves, right? You're just coming in with all your enthusiasm, trying to build desire and get them excited. They're not there yet. So this is why most people's marketing doesn't work is because they don't understand what message goes where and how to optimize it for their business. Kind of a long answer, um, but I hope that helps. And if you want to learn more about that, I want you to check out this masterclass that walks you through this even more. It's called Three Essential Strategies to Design a Predictably Profitable Business. You can get it at YourSweetSpotStrategy.com. It's an absolutely free 90-minute masterclass where I walk you through not only that customer journey, not only this customer journey, but I'm also going to walk you through the foundational principles of designing a business that generates 5, 10, or 15K a month. Okay. Next question from Katie. I'm very new to starting my own business. I'm going through your checklist, which has been a great help. My biggest hurdle is knowing how to seek out quality clients. I am still employed in my eight to five and many, even though there would be great clients, I feel as if it's a contract conflict of interest to have them as career change clients while working there. I need income until my business is stable. Where else would be a good start for clients? I've been with this company for 10 years and plan to leave on a great note. I love this. Katie, I I love that you are thinking about how do I make that transition from running my business on the side to being like full-time in your business. This is something a lot of our strategists are going through, so I completely understand. And FYI, when she's talking about my checklist, it's from the very first episode of The Path to Predictable Profits, where I shared the updated business growth checklist and actually walk you through the most important steps you need to go through to get through the startup stage of your business, get into the success stage where you're starting to make some money and into the scale and sustain stage where that money becomes more and more predictable. Okay. So how do we tackle this? Here's what I would say as far as um, getting more clients and getting started. The first thing I would recommend you do, and this is something I teach inside of Sweet Spot Strategy, inside of Get More Clients, is you need to crunch the numbers. You need to look at how many clients do you actually need at what price point in order to replace your income, okay? You can't make a good decision about when to leave without having these numbers in front of you. So the reality is 
you could probably leave a lot faster than you think because you you probably don't need a ton of clients. Um, most people running a services-based business, a coaching-based business, you might only need, let's say, 10 clients paying you um, $2,000 to start feeling confident and start feeling like, okay, I'm in a place where I could actually get ready to leave. Now for $2,000 or $2,500, they're probably gonna work with you for maybe six months, which is great. I mean, honestly, that's an ideal length for um, somebody to work with a coach. So I would, I would crunch those numbers. And again, this is what we do inside of Sweet Spot Strategy. We're going to put together that offer, that product, program, or service. We're going to find that price point and make sure we're very clear on how many clients you need in order to make that happen. So the next part of that is once you understand what you're selling, how much it is, and how many spots you have, then we need to find the right people. Again, the truth is, and this kind of flies in the face of what most um, gurus out there tell you, you don't need a big list to fill a one-on-one practice. You simply need to start getting on the phone with people. This is what I talk about inside of Get More Clients, which is a smaller um, sales system that I pulled out of Sweet Spot Strategy and made its own standalone product. We talk about how to get those first clients. In fact, there's two bonuses in there about how to get the first um, clients if you're just getting started and how to get more clients if you don't have a big list. One of my favorite things to do, and again, I'm going to point you back to that business growth checklist, is I have a business announcement email in there. Business announcement email is a strategy I came up with um, because I was starting my business at a time in my life where I had just gotten married. All my friends were getting married. All my friends were having babies. Like People were buying homes, all these exciting things. We're getting all these announcements in the mail. And I was like, well, if you can announce a wedding and a baby and a new house, like I want to announce a business. Why not? So I sent out these business announcements. Um, and back in the day, it wasn't emails. I would literally write a little letter, a little note, and I'd send a little workbook to them. Um, but I was announcing my business the way other people announce like a housewarming party. Like, why not? <laughs> so I love the idea of doing a business announcement email because that alone could fill um, an, a people in your calendar to start having conversations. You don't need to talk to a ton of people in order to fill like, let's say, 10 spots you might need to have 30, 40 conversations, if that. So crunch the numbers, figure out how many spots you need, do a business announcement email. Um, if you're nervous about this transition within the workplace you're currently in, I would just have a real honest conversation. Hopefully you're in a workspace that's supportive of your goals. Um, but I've definitely had clients who were able to talk with their employer, their manager, whatever, and they were super supportive. They were like, hey, we are excited about this. Do you want to host? Um, maybe you can talk to HR. Could you host a workshop just for them? Um, maybe you could speak at company event or something about a specific topic. As far as you scaling back, like if you make these numbers work and you start having those conversations, are you able to work with your employer to maybe scale back your hours? So as your hours at work kind of scale back from like 40 hours a week to maybe 30 hours a week or 20 hours a week, you can fill that with your coaching. It's really great if you can do that, if they'll allow you to kind of scale back and drop to part-time um, as you're building your business. It could also be an opportunity to simply ask them, hey, could I work remotely from home for one or two days a week? Because one, you'll be a heck of a lot more productive. And as long as you're getting the work done for them, they might be open to that. And that could free up time for you to like, let's say, have some phone conversations during work hours instead of all in the evening. So I hope that helps. I hope that answers your question. 
Um, I'm going to point you back to Sweet Spot Strategy and Get More Clients because we cover those things in depth in both of those programs. Another great cue here. I'm a brand new transformational nutrition coach and I have two questions. There are so many ways I can go to create a signature program and I know it's essential for me to do the research and the one-on-one interviews. Do you have a post or resource to help me with the right questions to ask? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Um, You might have heard me talk about the 100 Conversations Challenge. If you go through the podcast, it's episode 36. And I know it off the top of my head because I've had so many questions about it. Episode 36 is all about a challenge one of my Sweet Spot Strategy students, Tammy Hackbarth, took upon herself um, after I challenged them. I said, if you're really serious about growing your business, you will go out there and talk to 100 people about what they're struggling with so that you can design exactly what people want instead of just being in your top secret entrepreneur lab and trying to figure it out. And along with that episode, she talks about the process she went through to complete what she called the 100 Women Project, where she interviewed 100 women about self-care. She talked about the process, how she found them. Um, The majority of them were not people she knew. She found a way to ask for referrals and to get those people. So we turned all of her tips into a guide for the 100 Conversations Challenge. Everything from the types of questions to ask to how do you get those people? How do you how do you actually get the conversation to happen, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to send you there. Second part of the question, I do not yet have a website. Does Sweet Spot Strategy help um, with building a basic website or is this something you need to do on your own? We do not have a website tutorial simply because websites change so fast. I used to have a website training program um, but it changes so fast that it's pretty impossible for me, a non-designer developer, to keep up with those changes. What we do have is a lot of resources about what goes into your website and also simple ways you can get out there and get a website together. Now, I'm going to be a little contradictory to what you might have heard out there. I do not believe a website is the most important thing for a brand new business. Like, I know everybody thinks that's the first thing you should do. I honestly don't think so. I know a lot of people who started great businesses without spending a ton of time and energy in a website. Um, And I would honestly say for a lot of people, all you need to get started until you're past stage one, go check out the business growth checklist until you're past stage one and you've had conversations with people and you've started booking clients just from whatever organic word of mouth can do for you. Um, you don't need more than a starter site and you could build that on Squarespace. You don't have to get too crazy complicated with it. Um, in fact, people who go out and think they need a website first and they drop a ton of time, energy and money into it, they end up coming back like six months, a year later, like, oh crap, I got to redo my whole website again. So keep it simple. Keep it simple when it comes to websites. Okay, Gina. Hey, Gina. Um, I am a... E-R-Y-T, experienced registered yoga teacher, who 500, whose day job is ending in December and giving up my professional identity trainer coach for child welfare workers and agencies is scary. Oh, I totally, totally hear you on that. Okay. Um, because I'm a single parent of two with no financial help, but from myself, I'm thinking I need to pursue new jobs in that field, but I also deeply want to break, get brave about making yoga and wellness a viable career. It is possible. It is possible. And I'm going to ask, I have a couple of my strategists on the chat. Give Gina some love. 
color, it's possible. We see people do this all the time. The good news is you said it's ending in December, so you've got a six month runway, okay? A six month runway. And here's what I would say to this. For anybody who's in this boat, um, you, you are coming up against some big career choices that are gonna impact your livelihood, right? Um, the first thing I'll say is there is no shame in having a bridge job. There's no shame in having a bridge job. And by bridge job, I mean, as you go through this transition, Gina, if you get to where it's just the financial pressure is too much and you really wanna go after yoga and wellness, but you need to take the pressure off your business, it's okay if this thing ends in December and your yoga wellness business is not 100% there in six months, which in all honesty, six months might not be um, long enough. You might need a little more runway. That's okay. You can get a bridge job. Get a bridge job for a little while and so that you can give that business a chance to bloom, right? Um, there's no shame in that. Do what you need to do to take care of your family. But six months is also a great opportunity. If you know this end is coming, um, it's a great time frame to get things in place now. And one thing I would do, grab the business growth checklist, get that business growth checklist and start going through it. Start going through it. Um, if you haven't gone through um, your business sweet spot, which is my book right here, <laughs> it's available on Amazon. Go ahead and get the book, take the quiz. I think that will all be very, very helpful to make sure you're putting the right pieces of the puzzle in place. The biggest thing for you is gonna be making sure you're making the right decisions now because you could try to piece it all together um, or you can make sure the next six months you're actually putting the right pieces together instead of just trying to duct tape it. Um, so check those resources out, get the business growth checklist, check out your sweet spots or your business sweet spot, the book, and check out sweet spot strategy. I think it would be a perfect fit just because we have so many people who are in this same place. Let's see, Kelly has a great question. Okay, so how did you know it was time to make the switch from Yogipreneur to Rachel Cook MBA? How did you navigate that pivot in your business? This is a great question because um, I don't feel like I did the best job ever. To be honest, it was kind of a tricky um, transition for me. So some of you know, some of you don't know, when I started this business, it started under the brand, The Yogipreneur. I had left corporate because of burnout and I healed that burnout, the adrenal fatigue, the anxiety. I made most of the health strides on a yoga mat. And my yoga teacher was the one who came to me and said, hey, Rach, I know you're used to working with bigger businesses than mine, but could you take a look at my business? I don't think I'm going to be able to keep the doors open very much longer. Could you help me? So I ended up managing her studio and then consulting other yoga studios. And that turned into the Yogipreneur. She literally handed me the name. And that's what I started with. And I will say the reason it was great is because it was very niche. In 2008, 2009, there were literally a handful of people out online talking about yoga business coaching. Now there is a whole lot more. But back then it was very, very niche. So I think niche is great um, to get started. But what started to happen for me is when I made the shift from working in person to um, and working primarily by referral to working primarily online is I started attracting a lot of non-yoga people. They were very yoga aligned, like they practiced yoga, they had yogic mindsets, I felt. They believed in the things I believed in, but they were health coaches or holistic healthcare practitioners or life coaches. 
um, or Reiki masters or whatever. And so I started getting a lot more non yoga specific businesses. Um, but they were very similarly aligned, very similar types of challenges. And that was my first test of, okay, am I, am I outgrowing this container? So I, I literally was starting to feel like a plant that was potted in a pot that was too small. I was getting all these new things. All this good stuff was coming into me and the pot, the container of the yogipreneur was just holding me, um, smaller than I was ready to be. Like I was getting called to do something bigger. So I made the decision in 2014 to rebrand. It took me about two years <laughs> to go through the process because it felt like, um, it felt hard. It felt hard. I was known as the yogipreneur. I was doing consulting for every major yoga organization out there. I've done consulting for them or wrote their website copy or whatever. I know more about yoga business than pretty much anybody you will ever meet. But I was getting called to do something more. So I, I knew it was time to move on. It was very scary. I was worried that um, about a lot of things. I was worried. Honestly, the visibility piece was a little nerve wracking, which is ironic considering now I do Facebook lives. Um, but I was just, I just knew it was time for me, honestly. And I was getting more and more people who were resonating with what I was talking about um, who were not yoga specific. So that is the kind of long answer. It took me a while. I did because it was such a big brand shift and I wanted to do it correctly. I did work with a brand strategist, um, not just a designer. I'm an amazing designer, um, but I also really wanted someone who's going to help me make sure I was conveying what I wanted to convey. So I worked with Sarah Oncomo at Public Persona. It took us a year to design Rachel Cook MBA. And fun fact, the whole reason MBA is in that logo is because she took the time to literally interview my clients and they came back again and again. And they were like, what I really love about Rach is she not only has the experience, but she has the real smarts, like the education of somebody that they're looking to work with. And I hadn't been talking about that at all. So learning that part of it was kind of interesting. So it was a two year process. How did we navigate it? Um, a kind of a, a very slow, deliberate process is how we navigated it. And honestly, it took me until now, earlier this year, we finally shut down the Yogi Printer website and redirected it to Rachel Cook, which again, it felt kind of like, um, it felt tough because I was very attached to that brand. So the Yogi side of me is practicing a lot of non-attachment and knowing that I'll still have yogis like you, Kelly, and others who come into my world. And that's beautiful. And I love working with you. Um, but I am being called to do something bigger and that's why the rebrand was so important. Perfect. I think I grabbed all of the cues from you guys today. If you have had a chance to catch up on all of the path to predictable profits, you know, you can find all the episodes, look under the videos tab on my page. You'll see I've put together a playlist called the path to predictable profits. So you can see all seven episodes. They should also all be published on the podcast pretty soon here. If you didn't know I have a podcast, then just go to iTunes and search Uncomplicate Your Business or search Rachel Cook and you will find it. And then you can listen to everything, um, whichever way it suits you best. I hope you really enjoyed the series. We put our heart into it. There's a lot of resources there for you. And of course, if you want more, I'm going to encourage you to go check out 
this absolutely free 90 minute masterclass, three essential strategies to design a predictably profitable business. This masterclass can seriously be a game changer for you in your business. If you've been struggling to kind of figure out what do I need to focus on? Where do I need to put my time and energy to grow my business to those consistent five, 10 and 15 K months? So thank you so much for joining me. I have loved doing this series for you and I'll catch you on the next episode of Uncomplicate Your Business. Take care.